One of my long-term desires for each of us is to be able to make better use of the sacraments. Um, baptism was intended by God to be of daily use and to increase our faith and to unite all who place their hope in Jesus Christ. I feel like we, as Church Universal, not just us in our church, but across the board, have turned it into one of the most divisive things and relatively impractical in our daily use. And uh, so I, I don't know if today's sermon will... Uh, will achieve that goal all at once, but I hope that as we look at the sacrament of circumcision in the Old Testament, that it may uh, help us to better understand um, why God institutes sacramental signs and how they are to be helpful to us in our daily life. One of the distinctives of being Presbyterian is that we see one covenant of grace running all through scripture. The Westminster Confession of Faith reads, chapter 7, verse 1, section 1, the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. The idea that you can actually enjoy God, that you can uh, receive blessing from God, has been taught to God's people through the covenant throughout ages past. This one covenant relationship has been progressively unfolded to us through Abraham, through Moses, through David. And through these men, God explains how sinful human beings may live in a relationship with a holy God. Only in Jesus Christ is God's covenant with his people fulfilled. I sometimes say that by covenant, that a covenant is a relationship with rules. And I don't mean rules that you just keep. I mean like laws that govern the relationship, principles, just like there are physical laws like gravity that govern uh, the world in which we, we live. So there are laws which govern our relationship with God, rules that he has put in place for us so that we don't get our relationship with him wrong. One of the most important rules of the covenant relationship with God is that God's promised blessing is not earned by us. That's what we studied last week. It is received by faith alone. You could never do enough. You could never be good enough. You could never uh, do enough things in order to somehow earn the blessing of God. You have to receive it. That's a, that's a law of the covenant. If you don't get that right, everything gets messed up. But having established this first rule, this first law, 
of covenant relationship. The second rule is also equally important. And that is that God is not seeking a one-way relationship with his covenant people. Being brought into a relationship with God necessarily brings you into a relationship where God is seeking reciprocity. He wants you to love Him as much as He loves you. And since none of us loves God anywhere close to how He loves us, The covenant law, the covenant rule, is constantly telling you to love God more. You see, God doesn't just want part of you, He wants all of you. There's no place for the attitude, I'm receiving the blessing by faith. Oh yeah, loving God? Eh, not that interested in that. That violates the second rule of the covenant. There's also no place for the attitude, I am striving to love God, therefore God will accept me and I will attain the blessing on my own. No place for that in the covenant. We receive the blessing of God by faith alone, and receiving that blessing, we are called to live in a reciprocal relationship of love and fidelity with God. And you might think, well, okay, those are basic rules. We should just know those naturally. You would be wrong. History, all of the other religions of the world, even uh, uh, like missteps within the Christian religion, all get those two things wrong. Those two basic rules. Laws of the covenant. We turn the gracious salvation into something that we do. Oh, we're so excited about gracious salvation that we don't care about loving God. And we mess it all up. So here we are in Genesis 17. And let's see how these rules are not only expressed here in Genesis 17, but then also put into a covenant sign which is designed to help you to remember these two covenant rules all the time and never forget them. So Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring 
and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant that you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout their ge- your generations. Whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is brought, bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. When God originally called Abram, he was 75 years old. He has been waiting upon God to fulfill his promises to him for 25 years long time. Sarai has still not born a child. Ishmael, Hagar's son, is 12 years old. And as far as we know, God has not spoken to Abram for 13 years. It's a long time of silence. Abram, we know, continues to wait upon God to fulfill his covenant promises. He is waiting. That's a part of the covenant. Lord, please fulfill your covenant promises. Now, Abram's faith, over the last couple chapters, we have been, we've seen that it has been nourished by God's word. Even though God's word of promise has sometimes been few and far between. So over 25 years, God's spoken to him three or four times. So he's had to you know, wait in between those. Also, God has given to Abram a formal covenant ceremony. Remember that in Genesis 15. So he has the remembrance of that formal ceremony that will help him in his faith. But as time goes on, the probability of the promises being fulfilled to Abram look bleaker and bleaker. In chapter 16, the problem was Sarai. She was past the age of childbearing. But here in chapter 17, Abram is past the, the age of fathering children. The book of Hebrews says that he is, was as good as dead. <laughs> and what does God do? He again takes the initiative. Now, he is the one who has withheld the promised blessing. So, you know, he's the one, he wants this giving of a child to Abram to be this grand thing that only he could accomplish. And so he's holding back. Now, Abram is too old to bear children, to actually father children, excuse me. And God shows up. And he says to Abram, I am El Shaddai. In your translation, Almighty. And Almighty is good. It's a good translation. El Shaddai is kind of more famous title of God that we've, we use in some of our songs. It means Almighty, but it's, it's more than that. It's not just that God is raw power. 
It's not just that he's all-powerful. It's more to to the point that he is directing his awesome power to fulfill his covenant promises. That's the point. He is El Shaddai. He is the one who will fulfill his promises to his people. He doesn't matter how bleak it looks, he will do it. And so he's assuring Abram to continue walking by faith. Okay, you understand, the very first law of the covenant relationship with God is live by faith. Receive the promises by faith, not your own strength, not your own doing. Just trust God and he will give the promises to you. That's the first law. And so God reassures that. He strengthens that that principle. He doesn't want him to let go of that. It's It's a truth that you just cannot let go of. But then God says to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. Now, it's not just that God says do it. He actually seems to connect the experience of the covenant blessings to walking before him and being blameless, right? You see that in the text. Walk before me and be blameless that I may give you the covenant blessings. Now, I don't know about you, but if you tell someone, hey, Be blameless in order to get the blessing, fear comes into your heart. I'm not blameless enough. Right? And you're asking yourself, does the the second law somehow nullify the first law? You see that, that going on there. It cannot mean And this is if you don't understand the the flow of the relationship so far, God is not contradicting himself. He's not out of one hand saying, receive the promises by faith, and out of the other hand saying, if you walk blamelessly perfectly, then you can have the promises. He can't be contradicting himself. So what is he saying? Just what I said at the beginning. God brings everyone that he calls to himself. He brings them into a relationship in which God will not be satisfied until the, the one he's in a relationship with is loving him like he is loving them. They are connected. Let's look at the two commands. Walk before me. Yeah, what's well, walk before me? That just walk in God's presence. There are only two men, Enoch and Noah, up to this point, who have walked with God. We know that they were both righteous men. And then the very first commandment in Deuteronomy, which is not here yet, but it will be coming: "You shall have no other gods before me." So this is a statement, basically, to him: "I want all of you." Every moment of every day of your life, I want it to be lived out as if you were right in my presence all the time. That's what he's telling him. I want to be the center, Abraham, of everything that you do. You think about that here today. Do you think God is happy just that you come to church? Is he happy just that you pray every once in a while, spend a few minutes reading? No, he wants all of you. And if you're going to be in a covenant relationship with God, he will not stop working on you until he has every bit of you. 
period. The next statement, to be blameless, is just another way of saying the same thing. The Hebrew word for blameless is tamim. And it means complete, whole, without any blemish whatsoever. Think of the sacrificial lambs were supposed to be without blemish. No scars on them. You take physical scars would be one thing, but think about spiritual scars, the scars of your, of your sin that, have, that are there because you have not loved God wholeheartedly your whole life. God says, I want you to walk before me and I want you to be blameless. In fact, Psalm 15 says, who shall actually sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly. How can anyone do that? Only Jesus Christ has lived a perfectly blameless life. And we are only blameless as Jesus has imputed his righteousness to us and we receive by faith alone. But even given that imputation of the righteousness of Christ, do you know what else Jesus is doing? He will not stop until he fully makes you his blameless in every way. That's the covenant. And say, oh, I'm glad to forgive your sins. Come on up here and go on loving me half-heartedly. Eternity is when you and God are in this reciprocal love of fidelity. What a blessed thing. That's what the covenant law is telling you. One hand, you receive the blessing by faith. On the other hand, a part of that blessing is that you are being built into a person who actually loves God with their whole heart. The New Testament says things like, we are striving to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. You're not just striving to be a better person. Jesus grabbed you out of the muck so he could lift you up and make you righteous. That's the covenant law. These are the rules of the covenant. Two basic rules that you can never forget. And how does Abram respond as he hears them? Verse 3, he falls on his face. Good response. What God does next is very important. Verse 3 and 4, and down through 6. God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. What God has done here, he's already established, it's by faith, he's already established that Abram has to walk in a blameless way, but he's reaffirming that God is doing the work. And I think this is wonderful in this passage because God gives to Abram the name a father of a multitude. That's what Abraham means. And how strange it would be for Abram to come out of this meeting with his family and go up to his wife and and his servants and say, Hey, I want you to start calling me Abraham. I can just hear them snickering. Abram, you're as good as dead. You've got one son. It's to your servant. 
You don't have any prospect of any more, and you're telling me that you are a father of a multitude? He says, yep, God told me that. Now think about this in your life. God changed your name when you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what he calls you? Saint, holy one. You know what we say? Oh, don't call me a saint. Don't call me a saint. I'm a sinner. What if you had to go around and say, hey, no, call me saint. I am not a saint right now. But God has named me saint. And that's who I'm going to be. Do you see how the name change? God changes the name before the reality occurs. That's what happens. His very status is changed. This is who you are. You will receive it by faith because if I tell you your name is changed, then it is good as done. Verse 7. We see another rule of the covenant. You want to understand how covenants work? God teaches how the covenants work in the Old Testament. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Here it is. God establishes the rule. Children of those in the covenant are also included in the covenant. That's the rule. God does not wait to see if Abram's children want to be in the covenant. They're already in a relationship with God. It's important to see here that they are in the covenant not in a lesser way than Abram. God declares himself to be the God of Abram I am your God, and I am the God of your offspring after you. So it's not, it's my colloquialism. God is not saying, I am really God to you, Abram, and kind of God to your offspring. Not what he's saying. Now how would this affect the way that Abram would teach his children? Here's my imagination on this. Son... I want you to know that the God of the universe called me out of the land of Ur. Back then, my family and I worshipped the moon. But now we understand that our God created the moon. And we know that there is only one God who's created all things. He is a holy God. And we are in covenant relationship with Him. He is not only my God, but he is also your God. He has been loving you since before you were born. He has been watching over you as your father even before you could love him in return. He has given promises of eternal blessing to you. And because we have such a great God, we have the responsibility, the demand to trust him and to obey him. To give him our full devotion. 
Now that's what I envision him saying to his kids. Can you imagine him saying something like this? Son, a long time ago, I chose to make Yahweh my God. But Yahweh's not yet your God. When you're old enough to choose him, then he might become your God. At some point, I hope you make that choice. That's not the way it works. The covenant rule is that the children of Abraham are from their conception heirs of the covenant. And as heirs of the covenant, it was Abraham's duty to teach his children the incredible promises that are to be received by faith alone. He's to teach them how important it is that we live by faith and not by obedience in our own works, our own trust. That's what he has to teach them. That's what you do as a covenant. It is also the covenant duty of Abraham to teach his children that they were called to walk with God and be blameless. They don't get to decide that for themselves. It is placed upon them from the beginning. You have been chosen by God and therefore you will walk with God. Because everyone who's in covenant relationship with God must walk before God and be blameless. Children are holy and have a privilege of calling upon God as their God and Father. One of the great privileges of a parent living in covenant relationship with God is knowing that God is not only your God, but the God of your children as well. This principle applied when Jesus walked the earth. Do you want to know one of the few moments, you read through the New Testament, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, he rebukes the Pharisees, he, you, know, you want to know one of the only times that he rebukes his disciples? When they were hindering parents from bringing children to him. And they, parents, were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was mad at them. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And it says then that he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. He blessed them. Parents, do you remember that God does not simply promise to be your God, but also the God of your children? Now, it is not coincidental that during this instruction, during this time of teaching them the rule that your kids belong to the covenant, that he then institutes the sign of circumcision. It's not coincidental. Look at verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. could focus on not just the children, but also the slaves in your household were also circumcised. It's important because the covenant was not simply hereditary. It's not just what it's, you know. And also that God is setting apart the entire household as holy to himself. But we're going to focus primarily, since we don't all have slaves here in our household, uh, we're going to focus on the children aspect. So, of all things, why would God choose circumcision to be the covenant sign? Circumcision was not uncommon in the time of Abraham. Not every culture did it, but many did around them. It wasn't like it was unknown. But in most of the places where it was performed, it was performed during the child at age 12 or 13 when they were moving into adulthood. And it was done for the purpose of describing or declaring sometimes for someone who became a priest would be circumcised. So this holiness would would be in line there as well. But God takes a common practice and he gives it a new meaning. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant relationship between God and his people. The sign actually points to the entirety of the covenant relationship. This is clear in the text because God commands Abram, and this is the title of the sermon, you shall keep my covenant. And if you hear those words, if you were to hear that out of the context of Genesis 17, you would think that means keeping the rules of the covenant, living by faith, having to be in a reciprocal love of fidelity, walking before God and being blameless, that would be keeping the the covenant. But that's not what he says. He's actually referring to the sign of the covenant when he says to keep my covenant. And this is, there's such a, a close connection between the covenant itself and the sign of the covenant that he also speaks of them as if they're one. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 27, section 2, says, There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation or a sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified, whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. And I'd be lying if I told you that I understood all that. (laughs) But I am certain of this, that the, the thing signified and the sign are joined. There would never be during this time the attitude that we have today that the sign is relatively insignificant. No way. It's so strong, so strong at this time That if you failed to apply the sign, God considered you a covenant breaker. 
That's what it says in verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, if you understand that the covenant sign is primarily trying to get you to remember these two basic rules of the covenant, that that the only way you receive covenant blessing is by faith alone, And and once you're brought into a relationship of faith that God is demanding and he is the one working to bring you into a reciprocal love of fidelity, once you understand those rules, you can understand how important it is to keep the covenant sign. Because God says, I don't want you to forget these rules. Circumcision is a very good sign. Because it is cutting off of a flesh. It's the, what, is, what is it being cut off when you circumcise? It's not just flesh. It is cutting off sin. It's the, that's the symbol. That's what it's happening. If God is going to cut off sin from you, he has to do two things. He has to remove the guilt of your sin. And he has to renew the corrupt heart. The first deals with our record. The second deals with our nature. Both of them have to happen. And this is exactly what is spoken of in in Genesis 15.6. The record has changed. Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The record has changed through faith alone. Romans 4.11, Paul says that Abram received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Receiving the sign of circumcision was a declaration that God's covenant blessings would only be obtained by faith alone and by God imputing to you righteousness through that faith. Now, in Genesis, I will grant you in Genesis that the imputation of the record is the primary aspect of what's going on. But if you will go down to the book of um, Moses, or Deuteronomy, in Moses' time, it, you know what takes center stage? The transformation of the heart. Deuteronomy 10.16. God is telling Moses to tell the next generation who hadn't been circumcised yet and they needed to be circumcised. He's saying to them, hey guys, don't just be physically circumcised. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Do you see how the covenant sign of circumcision is used to what we call in our lingo to call people to repentance? Turn from your sin. Give yourself to God wholeheartedly. Walk before him and be blameless. That's what circumcision is calling you to. But just so that you don't start thinking that the first part about faith has been left, it's been lost, please turn with me to Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. You know, you don't want to tell your kid, hey, kid, you've got to get your act together. God's going to be angry with you. Right? I mean, that's what, come on, get your, beat that sin out of them. Right? You got to walk before God or he's going to be angry. That's not what God wants you to do. So look what he says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. 
The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and you may live. Oh, how important it is for us in our pursuit of holiness to remember the covenant blessings, to remember that it's all of God working in you. Yes, you need to be holy, but man, if it was up to you, you would only be crushed. Remember your covenant blessings. So remember these rules of the covenant because this is everything. God promises to do both. The covenant sign is designed by God to to reflect, yes, all of the covenant relationship, but it's really designed to reflect these two covenant principles. That you should never forget them. That you should always keep them in front of you. That's, that's the whole point of it. He, he, he wants you to, like I look at my marriage, my wedding ring, and I look at it, oh, okay, I know Robin loves me. I'm called to love her. I'm in union. I remember these basic things. When you look at your circumcision or if you look at baptism, you are supposed to remember the very essence, the covenant issues that are most important to God and do not forget them. Somehow I think we've lost all that. When Paul is trying to explain salvation to the Colossians, in in Colossians 2, he's trying to explain to them what is the essence of their relationship with God. Do you know what he goes to? Circumcision. (laughs) Listen. In him... You, you Christians, were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When were you? When did this occur? Having been buried with him in baptism. Do you see how he's like taking the covenant signs and he's explaining the heartbeat of the covenant? Oh, I wish we would do this more often. Paul uses the covenant sign to explain the core issues of his covenant relationship. Therefore, it is necessary all the time. The same thing is true. We're going to partake of covenant sign of communion here in just a minute. Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. He says, you do this, and as you're doing it, you are partaking of me. God does not want you to forget the core rules of covenant relationship with him. And by the way, when you get this, you understand that those rules could never be changed. Could you imagine that God brought some people into his eternal life by different rules? Oh, we in the New Testament are brought in by faith alone, but in the Old Testament, they had to do such and such and such and such and such. No way. God's covenant rules have never changed in their essence. Oh, some of the externals will change, some of the outward things will change, but the basic rules of the covenant relationship could never change. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way. 
And that's what we need to remember. May our covenant signs of baptism and communion remind us of the two basic principles. Blessing is received by faith alone, always. And once being brought into a relationship of faith alone, God is forever driving us to wholehearted, uh, blameless living before him. That's what he's doing. That's the covenant. That's what we're about. Heavenly Father, thank you for the covenant. Oh, may we embrace the covenant. May we embrace Christ. May we not turn your covenant signs into things that they are not. Help us, Lord. Help us to teach our children the covenant. Help us to to know what life is. Lord, I believe that you have changed my name. And I hate the fact that I'm not fully righteous. But I believe that you will not quit working until you make me fully blameless in your eyes. Help us to believe you and help us to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Elders, if you would come.